This is Victoria of TheUnleashedHeart.com, and you're listening to Grieving Voices, a podcast for hurting hearts who desire to be heard, or anyone who wants to learn how to better support loved ones experiencing loss. As a 30-plus year griever and advanced grief recovery method specialist, I know how badly the conversation around grief needs to change. Through this podcast, I aim to educate grievers and non-grievers alike, spread hope, and inspire compassion toward those hurting. Lastly, by providing my heart with ears and this platform, grievers have the opportunity to share their wisdom and stories of loss and resiliency. How about we talk about grief like we talk about the weather? Let's get started. Thank you for tuning in to Grieving Voices. Today, my guest is Hannah Howard. She is a writer and food expert who spent her formative years in New York eating, drinking, serving, bartending, cooking on a line, flipping giant wheels of cheese, and managing restaurants. She writes about delicious things, teaches food writing classes, and her memoir, Feast, True Love in and Out of the Kitchen, debuted as Amazon's number one bestselling memoir in 2018. And her new book, Plenty, A Memoir of Food and Family, is out now. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you today. And as I kind of mentioned before we started recording, that this is a very timely conversation for me. Just, I don't know, food just keeps coming up in my world lately. Ooh, I love Um, that. Yeah, because really, we food, we have a relationship with food. It's a relationship. And I mean, for me personally, I never was taught or shown or it wasn't emulated for me that that is a real thing, like to enjoy food or savor it or, you know, the preparation of it or, you know, anyway, we'll get to that. But um, I'm interested in learning how your relationship to food started for you in childhood and over the years. Absolutely. I've always loved food, but it's always been a little bit more complicated that complicated than that. Um, the love came. I feel very lucky that I grew up with a mom who's a great cook and a food lover. And one of my best childhood memories, I grew up in Baltimore and we used to go on these kind of, to me, they were like great adventures to get groceries for the week. And we would go to this amazing local farmer's market we would go to the Mrs. Mastalone, visit Mrs. Mastalone at this little Italian grocery store where this proprietess would be kneading curds to make fresh mozzarella. And if I was lucky, I'd get a taste. And we'd go to the Near East Bakery and have this amazing halva and olives. And just, I, I felt really lucky. And like, this was so fun. And then being part of the transformation where my mom would cook these ingredients into delicious things. Um, But then from a very young age, I was also the tallest girl in my class. I was the first to get dressed. And I also just had a anxiety and a dissatisfaction with my body that felt really intense and kind of increasingly so as I grew up. And so on the one hand, I've had this really genuine Um, joy and respect and love around food. And on the other hand, I've had a sort of fear and obsession around food. I messed around with all kinds of diets and 
this and that and trying to change my body. And this kind of morphed into an eating disorder that I've now thankfully been in recovery for for many years. But um, I think for me, part of the journey, and, and you're right, food is such a relationship that we all have, has been untangling that first, like that first really positive part from the really dark, hard part of my food relationship and really leaning into the former and kind of turning down the volume on all that fear, obsession, worry that used to take up such a huge part of my life. How old were you when that started to develop? I was really young, I think around middle school or even before. I mean, I remember having these kind of just feeling like my body was wrong and there was something wrong with me. Um, and then around college, it really kind of spiraled. I, I, had a, um, I, I had a diagnosis in college of anorexia nervosa, which even at the time I was like, this is part of the story, but it's not the whole story because I was just kind of always in this limbo between trying to restrict my food and binging and my weight would go up and down. And it was really a painful way to live. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Um, and then um, the anorexia kind of outwardly got better because I was at a normal weight, but I was not at any kind of peace with myself or with my food for several more years until I kind of was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I had this last epic binge and was really like using food as a weapon to hurt myself in a way. Looking back now, I'm kind of grateful because it spurred me to reach out for help. And the reaching out for help was the beginning of really recovering, changing and repairing and healing my relationship with food and myself. May I ask what was happening in your life outwardly and around you and your environment and things when this, the food control thing started to take shape? So many things were so good, which was always kind of this felt like this mystery to me. Like, you you know, I had, I, I grew up in Baltimore and then when we were in high school, we moved to the New Jersey suburbs, which I was very unhappy about, very mad at my parents. And um, I have always been kind of a city girl and I loved New York City and wanted to go to college there. And I got into my my dream school. I, I went to Columbia and that was what I really wanted to do. And I was so excited. And so, so many things were good. And I had some amazing friends. I had some amazing opportunities. And also, meanwhile, so Feast, my first book, tells the story of working through restaurants because that first part of this food relationship I described, I think was a huge piece in propelling me to get a, get jobs around food. And so I worked in some amazing New York City restaurants, cheese, uh, cheese places, um, and really fell in love with that world. So there were so many things that were amazing in my life. I, had a, I have an incredible supportive family. Um, But I had this like deep secret because I I was so ashamed of this eating disorder and my struggle with food. I I didn't feel safe telling anyone. I could barely admit it to myself, much less any friends or family. So it's like a really lonely experience carrying this around. And I think looking back too, there was this sort of big disconnect between things on the outside, which were good and things on the inside, which were miserable. So where do you think 
that self-hatred was coming from because it I, I'm kind of digging further into this for people listening, for parents, for mothers. I'm a mother. I have two teenage girls, a 12, like she's going to be 13 and, the, and a 15 year old pretty soon. So I'm really just interested in, you know, because when I look at their environment, like we have great family life and things, you know, so I want some insight as a parent. And can you share a little bit about that? Absolutely. I mean, I'm a, I'm a parent too. I'm a new, new mom. I have an 18 month old daughter oh, and congratulations. I'm expecting another one. Thank you. Oh, so it's something, yeah. Yeah. And it's something I think a lot about because I think in some part eating disorders are like, like I think most addictions, a kind of family disease. And I really, I don't know how much of this is nature and how much of this is nurture. I really don't think that my family did anything wrong, but I do with a lot of compassion. And I've written about this. I I did watch my mom struggle with her, with her weight and her own kind of journey to accept herself. And she was always on and off different diets and losing and gaining weight. And so I, I definitely don't blame her. I think that we're all a product of this diet culture that I've been learning more about. And the more I learn about it, the more I see that it's, it's really in the air we breathe. Like we're really taught these lessons kind of implicitly that like thinness is goodness. And I think slowly, slowly, slowly that is starting to change. Even like when I was growing up, I never saw images of bodies that didn't look like one very specific way. And I think now there are more images of bodies that look other ways, but I think there's still a long way to go. So I, it's really tough. I don't, and I, and I hope like, I really don't want to pass this on to my kids, but I also don't know how much control that any one of us has besides, I know that the best thing I can do for myself is to continue to recover myself and you know, build this, my own positive relationship with, with all of this stuff. And then uh, the rest, (laughs) I I wish I had a better answer. Um, No, I think you, I think you kind of did. And I think really just like how we are taught, I I have a post coming up about this because I read, I came across something on the web the other day and it kind of just, the person stated that children don't know how to grieve. And that really rubbed me the wrong way because we come out of the womb knowing how to grieve. We come out of the womb crying. And for the next two to, you know, for the next first three years of our life, we're expressing ourselves openly and without a without any thought of who am I going to offend if I cry or who, you know what I mean? We don't have, it's, we naturally express ourselves up until the point because by age three, we've learned almost 75% of the skills that we need to deal with difficult challenges in our life. Can you believe that by age three? So those early years are the most formative for setting the foundation for relationship to food or how we grieve. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot that I wish I could undo in that regard because I wasn't healing myself either like in my grief it took me many years and so i look back of how different of a mom i'm in, i am today i'm sure 
you look at your experience and, oh my gosh, almost thankful for that experience because it makes you a better parent, right? Having had that experience, it's emulating what a healthy relationship to food looks like, what grieving looks like in a healthy way. And so, no, I think that's a great answer. I mean, that's basically what you had said. And the best thing we can do as parents is to heal ourselves, to work on ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which is a lot harder than, oh, just oh, yeah. say this thing or, you know, just do, yep. just do this thing. It's, it's a lot, it's a lot deeper work, but I think it's absolutely true. I just on 60 minutes last night, um, I was watching, I don't know if you saw the whole Facebook whistleblower uh, story, but if you watch the news piece, um, she actually added and went on to say that Facebook's own research into Instagram verifies and shows that Instagram is actually harmful for teenage girls. It is doing more harm than good. And they had actually talked about creating a platform for Instagram for teens or for younger, for the younger people, but they've put that on the back burner. And it just makes me think that, geez, I wonder, I never really gave it much thought because my, my oldest daughter is on Instagram and yeah, it's really making me rethink that, you know, what's come up for me too. And preparing for this episode is me reflecting on my own relationship to food and how I tend to not eat when I get like in the zone or I'm, I'm, I mean, I can, Oh, it's three o'clock. I haven't eaten anything. My daughter has actually, she will feed me. (laughs) She will bring me food to make sure that I eat. But so, yes, I'm, this is, I mean, I told you before we started recording that this is really a timely conversation for me too. So I, again, thank you for sharing your story. Um, what I would like to hear is more about that turning point for you. And then that, what that has looked like since. The turning point of kind of from, from the struggle to the other yeah. side. Like you were sick and tired yeah. of being sick and tired. Yeah. Like I've said yeah. that about, that's yeah. what happened. That's what I said to myself when I was like, just like had one more loss experience. I'm like, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think for, I really thought for many years that I was, this was just something that I was going to have to deal with and struggle with and slog through forever. Like it was just my burden in life to bear this. And um, I am kind of so glad that I reached that point. I guess like people talk like alcoholics and stuff talk about like a bottom or, I mean, it really felt like that to me. It was just like, it was just so exhausting to keep. At this point, I was kind of, I would um, get this like new resolution to, to diet harder and to really restrict. And I would for I don't know. Sometimes it was days, sometimes it was weeks, sometimes it was months, but then it would always. And I think also biologically, like we're not supposed to starve ourselves. Our bodies are really smart and they want to be nourished. And then, so I would, and then inevitably it would result, the pendulum would swing the other way and it would result in some sort of binge. And then I'd feel ashamed and embarrassed and vow to diet better and harder next time. And that went on like for many years. And 
it's just not a really fun way to live at all. Um, I think kind of breaking these promises to ourselves is really hard. Um, the shame was really hard. Like I said before, the loneliness, I think that was really what got me because I was just hiding this from, or trying to hide it. I think people really close to me probably were smart enough to see something was going on. But um, so I, let's see, so I went, um, at the time I, cause I was looking for like answer, you know, while part of me felt like this was my life, another part of me had some hope and I was looking, you know, so I would read, I was kind of embarrassed. I would go to the um, self-help section at Barnes and Noble and kind of like choose a book that felt more like intellectual or something. But then I have an, a different book and um, I was reading something and one of the author was a, a coach and I just on a whim decided to email her. And I, I think I couldn't, you know, I was a, in my early twenties, I couldn't afford her services, but she, I think she offered to talk with me for like a few minutes on the phone, very generously. And she suggested this group um, that met for eating disorder recovery. And I didn't even expect, like it sort of come, came out to her. I didn't even expect that I was going to talk about this. And I kind of felt like I had nothing to lose. And I went and it was just, it was kind of like a light bulb experience to hear people share out loud the things that kind of went on in my, like in the deepest, darkest crevices of my mind, but I had never spoken out loud. And then not only did they say these things, like things that they did with food, their own, their own feelings, their own complicated stories, and then they would just like laugh and give each other hugs. And my mind was blown. I was like, what is this? It, it felt weird. It felt um, definitely uncomfortable. I was nervous. Um, but I, I was like, this is incredible. I think I'm, I'm so grateful for a part of me that felt like, and I think so much of that was just being around people who understood what I was going through. Um, and I kept going back and I met people who understood and I think that was this huge shift of not doing this, not trying to do this alone, not in the secret corner of Barnes and Noble with my secret book, but having people to share with honestly and openly and people who had been where I had been, but now we're doing, we're experiencing life and food and their bodies in this totally different way. And it gave me this kind of, hope that something else really was possible and there was a different way for me to live. So in conjunction with the group that you met with, you did you do therapy as well or what kind of along with that helped you the most? Yes, I did. And I'm still go to therapy today, which I find incredibly helpful. But, you know, I had gone to therapy before. I had gone a few times in high school and college. And I feel like it could only, for me anyway, it was... And nothing, I think I probably saw wonderful therapists, but they could only work with what I was willing to share and where I was willing to, sh how I was willing to show up. And I wasn't, I just feel like I wasn't quite ready. And something about this group, I think, made me feel like I was. And so that work that I was doing in therapy felt so much more like it was getting to the heart of things. And I was so much more willing to be honest, even when it was hard. And 
Um, so yeah, therapy has really helped. The group has really helped. Sometimes just like time has helped. Um, and even little, like there's just so many little actions that I've added up when we just talked about Instagram, like being really mindful about who I follow on Instagram helps how I spend my time. Um, just these little, little choices I make throughout the day that either can support my recovery or not so much. What does that look like today? What does recovery look like? And how, how many years has it been? It's been almost 10 years now, which is amazing. Um, Yeah. So it looks really different. You know, when I was in the beginning, early stages, I would go to these groups like all the time and I was, I mean, I'm 30, I just turned 34. So it was a different time in my life. And I, I had more time to kind of really dig in. I I, I would uh, make phone calls to fellow people in recovery. I read everything I could. I um, was really like, kind of seeking it out as if my life depended on it, which it did. Mm-hmm. Um, but then over the years, like my life has grown in these amazing ways. And I'm a few years ago, I got married and I have kids and I also publish books and do other, and I have a busy work. And so life has, has gotten bigger. And so I feel like I've had, but I've really, it's really been important for me to keep recovery as a sort of foundation in my life because I know that without it, all those other things don't go too well at all. So, but I, did, but I don't go to like all these meetings all the time. I don't, you know, but I still see my therapist. I still have a community of people that I've met in these groups that I text or call on occasion and they're, they've become friends who I really value and you know when things I think it's like another living inside of my own brain and heart is like a completely different experience than it was 10 years ago but I still I think I always will I still have moments where like I look at a picture of myself and I freak out or I eat something and then my gets so my brain's so noisy about like what was that what's gonna happen and um Day when that happens, I kind of have like a plan of how to deal with it. I have again, like people to it always, it's always worse in my head. It's always better when I can just like share it with someone, um, kind of dissipates. And I, and I kind of think about how I can, I could either go down that road of obsession and kind of stay in that misery, or I can turn my thoughts elsewhere. And what else can I do? How can I be present in my life? Um, and I try to choose that second option as much as I can. Do you believe you'd be where you are now had you, well, A, not had that experience and B, would still feel that torment within you? And I know the answer, but I want to hear you say right. it. No, I mean, I think this this has shaped who I am in so many ways and so many of those ways I believe are for the better I think dealing with this has given me so much compassion for what, you know, not everyone has an eating disorder, but everyone has, you know, everyone struggles. Everyone has something, whatever it is, you know, it doesn't have to be a substance. It can be with relationships. It can be with work. It can be with money. It can be, you know, we all like, we all have our stuff. Um, And I, so I think it's really given me, not only that compassion for others, but also so much more kindness and compassion for myself because 
my first like go-to is to be incredibly hard on myself and such a perfectionist and incredibly mean to myself. And a big thing too, that I'm learning in recovery is to like slowly ease up on that. And, um, and it's also given me a way to connect with other people. I used to really think that I was supposed to present this sort of shiny, perfect exterior. And that's how I would like win acceptance in the world. But it's, so like, that's not what appeals to me about other people. And, you know, people don't share stories about how they were awesome. They share embarrassing stories. Cause like, you know, there's something about humanity that we, we relate to the hard stuff. And so it's just given me such a better understanding, I think. And I think it's made me a better, a, a, I think a better mom, a better friend, a better writer, all of that. Yeah. And when you said, you know, Everyone has their stuff, but everyone, every single person has a relationship to food. All of us do. That's true too. And, you know, not, again, not everyone has an eating disorder, but that doesn't mean everyone has like a perfect rosy relationship with food. It can be hard for, for all of us at, at times. Well, and here's my question. This is actually one of the things I wrote down. So, you know, when we think of eating disorder, we think of anorexia or bulimia, but what about addictions? like an addiction to sugar. And is that addiction to sugar perpetuated by the food industry? And so, yeah. you know, so what do you have to say about that? What are your thoughts? Yeah, on that? I think, that, yeah, right. I think, you know, that was, I think that was part of my uneasiness with having an eating disorder was that I had this idea of this like little blonde anorexic girl from like an after school special. Mm-hmm. Um, but eating disorders don't always look like that at all, right? They, anorexia and bulimia exist as does binge eating disorder, as does there's a, in the official diagnostic manual, there's, it's called EDNOS, eating disorder, not otherwise specified, which was my diagnosis for a long time, which is like the most frustrating diagnosis. Cause what does that mean? But, um, it's so true. There's so many ways to have like disorder, like a lack of order in our lives around food. And, um, you know, people of all, this also gets kind of thought of as like a privileged young woman's disease, but that's not the case. Like men struggle with this, people of all backgrounds and experiences. I was also kind of like, I read stuff about how like, oh, French people have this amazing relationship with food. And then I also met like French people in my <laughs> recovery group. It's like, no, this anyone can, anyone can struggle with this. Um, and it can look all different ways. And definitely like sort of the bin, right, there's a restricting side. And then there's a binging, overeating side too. And I think I do think of my eating disorder as an addiction, not necessarily to like a substance. There's a lot of controversy within the recovery community, whether or not like sugar is addictive. I'm not a doctor, like, I don't know. But for me, what the, the addiction was kind of the obsession, like making food this huge power over my life and my day and, you know, waking up in the morning and thinking about what I ate the day before and not determining whether it was a good day or not, like that sort of thing, it really did feel like an addictive behavior. And just the things I would do with food, the sneaking it, the lying about it, the just this obsession. So I think that there are a lot of parallels with addiction, whether or not, I don't know whether food 
is addictive, but it certainly can be. I mean, we've all had that experience, right? Of like starting to eat something and then being like, oh my gosh, it's gone. What happened? So yeah, yeah. it's com- it's complicated. It's very multi-layered. And thank you for bringing yeah. up that it's not just this blonde, small girl problem in that because my son actually, he's 16 and he was the smallest kid in his class, scrawny, thin, bony, I mean, bony structure, but I was the littlest always. And people would say all the time, we did too, how little he is. Oh, you're so little. You're so scrawny or, you know, that's not healthy either. Like I'm owning that as his parent, that I probably was no help to that situation either. And, you know, he had this growth spurt, you know, he started lifting weights. He started like doing push-ups and things like that when he was like 12 or 13 and started, you know, he wanted protein powders and he started to lift weights. And now he's, you know, he put on, I think 40 pounds and like a little over a year or about a year. And he comes back to school and you're like, Whoa, you know, like he's transformed his body because of the hard work that he put into it. But, you know, and I, I saw the difference it made in his confidence and, and now again, he, he's talking about, he really loves lifting weights and, and stuff. And so he's really talking about the next year, how he wants to put on even more weight and, and, but it just, this, again, this conversation is so timely because I think it's really important that um, it's, it's not about exactly what it's not. Cause I said, you know, it's not, it matters what you eat to put on the weight. You know, you don't want to just eat a bunch of junk, you know, to, it really is something that I, I should probably pick up your book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because we all have to like live in a body, right? So yeah. of course, and there's nothing wrong with like taking care of your body and right. Like, you know, that's awesome that your son like wanted to do these things and accomplish them. But when it become when our bodies become like our sense of worth, self-worth yes. or then it's no, no longer right. It's not right sized sort of, I, I, it's, it's yeah. hard, it's hard, it's hard to find that balance. And um, I, that's I, what I'm feeling. That's what I'm yeah. feeling as a parent, as his parent, yeah. like, you know, do I encourage this? You know, it's like, you know, you're perfect the way you are. Like that's, that's how you were made. And, you know, I don't know, like I have those feelings about myself, you know, we all have, this is an everybody problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, sure. I don't care who you are because no. again, it comes back to, we all have a relationship to food. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So when you were really struggling, what was something that was really helpful to you that, um, it, and how other people supported you? I think for me, I hope I'm not a broken record with this, but it was such a relief to realize that I wasn't alone with this because I did feel so kind of weird and like there was something wrong with me. I must be broken. And just to meet these like amazing men and mostly, mostly women, but some men who who are, who I really like admired and who are really impressive people, but they also struggled with this and had so much kindness and a willingness to, listen and share and connect that was just that was just hugely transformative for me just that realization that it's not some sort of moral issue that I have struggled with this doesn't mean I'm a bad person 
and it's and and one of the reasons too I wanted to write and share my story is just uh, like this deep breath of relief of not being alone. I still feel I may still feel that way like ten years into this journey. Like oh, thank God. <laughs> well, I think in grief too, and that's why my I've said this on a few podcasts when it's come up, but the graphic, the art for my podcast is me on an island with a megaphone, right? Because you feel so alone and you feel like, like you're screaming in the inside and, and like, and when you say something and no one's listening or they don't know what to say or how to support you. Yeah. So just that, like, I'm here, I'm sending you some love, like those little things, they make such a difference or they have to me for sure. Mm -hmm. Do you think a part of that obsession was to feel a sense of control in your life. I think maybe as teenagers, especially like you feel like you have no control in your life. And so I, I think it's common. I mean, is that like, Oh, absolutely. Definitely. I think it, right. It's um, yeah. I mean, even today, like life is um, life is with the, with this pandemic where there's so many unknowns in the world and, being a new mom, my personal life sometimes feels really hard. And right, food is this like substance that at least we think anyway, we can control. So that was a huge part of it for me. And this kind of fantasy that if right, if like my food is somehow perfect, that other things will be perfect too. But it doesn't really work out that way, unfortunately. I'm going to tie this to grief because in grief, one of the stirbs often mentioned or that people struggle with is with food and with the pandemic and people have lost people in their life and or maybe their job or they're struggling with, maybe they've lost friendships over the divide that's happened and all of the stuff that's going on. I just want people to reflect on what their relationship is to food today versus pre-pandemic like and how has that changed for them I've heard from um, friends and colleagues in the eating disorder world and read some things that this is a really tough time for I mean it it makes sense because this is a tough time for so many people like you said for so many different reasons and maybe food is also a symptom that shows up in people's lives but I know that like eating disorder units and hospitals have been completely overbooked and therapists have no room on the, in their schedules. And I, I think this has come up in the last year and a half for so many, so many of us. Um, yeah. But the root isn't the food. That's what, you know, and that's why I want to feel like it's important to say it. it's grief. Grief is the issue. You know, Absolutely. grief is, grief is our secondary pandemic to the pandemic, but I do think it was our pandemic well before the pandemic. So what would you give for a tip to someone who might be struggling today? Again, the reminder that you're not alone. You know, there's so many people out there who are struggling too, or who have been through really, really, really hard, dark stuff and kind of come out the other side. And I would also say that, you know, this too shall pass. People have told me that before. And sometimes it's like, oh, no, this is, I'm going to feel this way forever. But even the most painful, awful feelings dissipate with time and some, some kindness. So um, it's not going to feel this way forever. 
I want to reflect something back to you because I think it's not just time, but you actually took action. You sent an email that changed the trajectory of your life experience that led to that group that you kept going back to for support. So you took action. And I just wanted to highlight that. Yes. I think that's huge too. And I think sometimes when we're feeling at our worst, like action just feels so overwhelming, but right. Even that a a little, a little, like one email, a little step, a little showing up, reaching out to someone, making a call, taking a moment for yourself, whatever it is, like these small actions really add up and create momentum. And for me have led to change in a big way. Yeah. Growth is not in our comfort zones for sure. So yeah, congratulations for stepping out. And um, I'm curious to how, when you found out you were pregnant with your first daughter, was that just kind of another hurdle that you felt like you had to like kind of tackle? Because, you know, with my first, I gained like a ton of weight, ton of weight. And um, I, yeah, my relationship to food was was horrible then too. But so can you tell me, you know, just kind of dig into that a little bit, like the pregnancy and. Sure. Well, my first pregnancy ended up with a miscarriage, which was one of the hardest things that I've been through, which was really tough. And even though it wasn't necessarily, I mean, it it was very different than an eating disorder, but I felt some similar feelings and that my body had let me down. Um, And so that kind of disappointment with my body in a way was familiar, although the scope felt bigger and sadder. And then pretty soon thereafter, we got I got pregnant again and had a healthy pregnancy and had my daughter, Simone. Um, and I was really kind of gearing up for, because I've heard so many stories of people Um, I've heard people, you know, the doctor is shaming them about gaining too much weight during their pregnancy or, right, they can't stop eating like, you know, weird combinations of food or so I heard all so many stories and I was worried about what was going to happen. But I feel like it was really thanks to recovery that I was able to pretty, pretty much trust my body. I definitely like I was nauseous in the early days and I ate a ton of bagels with butter, which is like not a huge part of my usual diet, but that's what felt good. And I'm so grateful that I could just, okay, that's, that's, you know, I ate a lot of bagels with butter for a few months. Nothing bad, nothing bad came of that. You know, I, I feel like very lucky that it was a much more positive and serene experience than I had expected that it would be. And I definitely gained weight and it, it was, I definitely had uncomfortable thoughts because, you know, as, as women were really taught that like, even like any kind of weight gain is, is like taboo in a way, even when we're growing a baby. But I was also like so proud of my body. Like it made this amazing baby. And, you know, people had said, I've heard this advice in recovery and in general for having like a healthy body image to kind of appreciate your body for what it does right for we're giving hugs we're walking around we're um you know all these things that our bodies do instead of how they look but that to me that was just kind of like words and then but then once my body was like making a baby it felt 
that felt really real. Like, whoa, this is crazy. It's wild, you know, that we grow babies inside of ourselves. So it gave me a whole new, it gave me a really new appreciation for my body and, and how amazing it was. Do you think that actually too helped transform like, and kind of trickled into your relationship with food too? But, you know, because I think it really comes Definitely. down to self-love, right? Like self-love. Absolutely. And I still hold on to stuff. Like we all do, you know, we all kind of, it's not like one day we're sick and then the next day we're completely mm-hmm. perfectly well. Like we kind of have these old ideas. And um, I think that there was still a part of me that was try like, you know, that was kind of like thought, you know, it was always better to eat something that was lighter. Like there's always a little part of me that wanted to restrict my food. And that kind of turned off when I was pregnant because also I was just like really hungry. Um, but I, but it, I didn't feel that judgment towards myself because I was like, no, I'm, I'm growing a, another person. And um, yeah, I think it's really been a positive thing for my food and body relationship. How about postpartum? Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like I had such an intense postpartum experience because it was right at those early days of pandemic times um, where so I we ended up um, kind of packing up my parents car because my husband and I lived in an apartment in in New York City and moving in with my parents for a while Um, and so we had gone, I had gone from this like light and I'm, I'm a food writer. And so, you know, my, my life has always involved like going to eat all these wonderful restaurant meals and hosting cheese tastings. And, and then all of a sudden we were like going to the grocery store as little as we could, you know, and stocking up in those early days. And um, so food was really different, but it was also kind of nice to like cook you know, cook our own meals. And my mom is a great cook and she cooked a lot for us, which was such a treat. So it was interesting. And it was, and I, and I was worried too, you know, I've heard these people like fear about their bodies changing in all these crazy ways. And my body changed in a lot of ways. And I, and I don't necessarily feel like amazing about all of them, but it was, it was like, okay. You know, I, I um, ended up fitting into my, clothes that I was wearing before pregnancy, like perfectly fine with some time. And I kind of felt like the less I, the less I obsessed about it, the more things just kind of worked out and took care of themselves. And I hope that that's the case for the second time around. Well, and I think a key component to that is having support along the way too. You know, you said you continue with therapy and you have, you know, family that supports you and, and all of that. And I think that's so important. And the friendships that you've made throughout recovery that you still have. And absolutely. Cause there's definitely still like shaky moments and anxious moments that I have. And I think we all do, but they used to really just like take over my life. Mm -hmm. And now they're just a small, a small part of the day. Well, it's just like when the when the when a special day comes around, you know, an anniversary of the death of someone or diagnosis or something like that, you know it's coming and you kind of can plan for it. But many grievers, that's they have to take that time and give themselves the time to take care of themselves during those days and 
it's recognizing within ourselves what we need. What would you like to scream to the world and wish people knew about your, your grief and experience? Well, let's see. I felt, let's see, going for in terms of grief, I was kind of shocked how deeply sad and how much loss I felt um, when I lost this pregnancy. Um, and I think in a way, in a similar way to the eating disorder experience, it really helped me. I, what I, I started to, I remember like just a few days later watching these clips in, on YouTube of Beyonce talking about her pregnancy loss. And it was like, okay, Beyonce went through this. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I like Beyonce, but I'm not like, I'm not like obsessed with Beyonce or something, but it's just, it felt so healing or reading, um, reading other people's stories. And I think just that, like, you are not alone. You have people who love you. We can get through this together. Throughout your grief experience, what has given you the most joy and what gives you hope for the future? Like throughout this whole journey. Yeah. I think there really is like, we, we kind of touched on this crazy alchemy of how something that felt like the worst part of my life, certainly like the most painful, shameful stuff became this really positive thing in a way because it helped me show up in a, in such a deeper way. It helped me connect with people who I really love today. It helped me, it helped me kind of grow emotionally and like as a human. So I feel like that still to me feels, feels wild that what I thought was the worst thing has turned out to be something that I'm grateful for, like genuinely. And and if you would have told me that like years ago, I would have maybe laughed, but it's true. I would say the same thing about my life. (laughs) And it comes back to your books and those wouldn't be out today if you wouldn't have had this experience and you wouldn't be where you are today without recovery. Yeah, I got this new book. Oh, (laughs) that's a beautiful cover. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's really, I really love how it came out. Um, Yeah, and it feels like such a joy. I mean, I've always loved to write and always wanted to write a book. And now here I am getting to do that. And it just feels like the biggest privilege. So you never imagined yourself as an author? I hope to be a published author, but it felt a little bit like a pipe dream. And now it's my reality. So tell us a little bit about your books. Absolutely. So the first book called Feast, uh, they're both memoirs. So they're both both personal stories. The first one is about um, this journey working through restaurants and food stores and falling in love with food and also about this struggle and recovery from the eating disorder. So it's really a book about my like food journey. And then Plenty is about meeting my husband. It's about experiencing this miscarriage and then again, a pregnancy. And it's also about finding a community of amazing women in the food world. So there's a chapter about a cheesemaker. There's a chapter about a sommelier. There's a chapter about a barge pilot who barges around the south of France to amazing food. So, um, you know, it starts with myself, but then I also talk about all these other, other amazing food women. 
Very nice. Anything else you'd like to share? I think that's it. Thank you so much. What what a joy to get to talk and and thank you for your beautiful questions. Thank you so much for being here. And where can people find you if they want to reach out? I have a website, hannahoward.nyc. And I'm on Instagram. I'm Hannah M. Howard. And I will put the links for the books and your contact info on the show notes. Thank you again for this timely conversation. Um, I know I'm going to reflect on it well after today and um, give honestly more deep thought into my personal relationship with food and how I want to emulate how important it is that we really truly think about our food in a nourishing way for our spirit, for our bodies, rather than like this thing that you just have to eat to sustain yourself just so you wake up tomorrow. You know, it's like, it's, it's more than just that. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. I mean, right. We do have to eat to sustain ourselves, but then yeah, there's sort of concentric circles for sure. Um, Yeah. I, I feel like I've also been writing about food for so many years. And every time I think, Am I going to get bored of this? Like, no, there's so much more to explore and so many levels and ways that it touches on us culturally and emotionally and historically and agriculturally and environmentally and just a a huge, a huge topic. And it's so rich and I love getting to explore it. It is. I think there's so many layers to it. I never really thought a lot of it either until I was preparing for our conversation. And I mean, you think about it, it touches our economy, our homes, and it stems back to our childhood and our culture and how we were raised with food and just all of it. Yeah, it's fascinating, fascinating. So I I look forward to digging in a little bit more into my own relationship with food prompted by or our conversation and your great shares. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And remember, when you unleash your heart, you unleash your life. Much love. From my heart to yours, thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share it, because sharing is caring. And until next time, give and share compassion by being a heart with ears. And if you're hurting, know that what you're feeling is normal and natural. Much love, my friend.